The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Both the Gospel of Matthew and of Luke begin with genealogies of Jesus. As they introduce us to the birth of this beautiful child who was God. The book of John, the Gospel of John, also has a genealogy, but it's a very different kind of genealogy. Let me read it for you. John, the first chapter, the word, that is, the logos, and the word logos in the Greek means that force or that power that is behind all of creation. Literally, the idea for creation emerges out of this Logos. The Word, the Logos, was in the beginning, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This one was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, And apart from him, not even one thing happened that has happened. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So the genealogy for the Gospel of John is coming from the kingdom above, from God's heavenly domain, saying, the genealogy of this man Jesus is that he is the one who has been the creator God. He was the one who stood on Mount Sinai with Moses. He was the one who appeared to Abraham. This Jesus has appeared through history, and now he came as a baby to become one with us. And the darkness has not been able to overcome him. Now when we go to the book of Romans, I'll begin with Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 8. But God confirms his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ, the Messiah, died for us. This baby was born in Bethlehem in full innocence and righteousness. And he was born to be a high priestly sacrifice offering. He is our atonement. The atonement was not done to him. He is the atonement. He laid down his life for you, for me, for us. Verse 9, By much more than having now been made righteous by means of his blood, we shall be saved through him from the wrath of God. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to do a work in your heart and in mine. He came to make us righteous so that we could walk with him in reality. Now, part of what is so very difficult for you and me It's difficult to separate out all we have heard from others about Jesus and about 
salvation. It's hard to separate out all the myths and finally come just to the scriptures and believe what they say as the truth. Literally the truth. So we find in Romans, the sixth chapter, verse three, are you ignorant? Or do you not know? This is a literal translation. Malcolm Lavender's translation. Are you ignorant that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He's not talking here about a water baptism. He's talking about a Holy Spirit baptism. And then he says, literally, really, we were buried together with him. We were buried together with Jesus by means of the baptism into the death that just as Christ was raised out from among dead men by the glory of the Father, so also we may walk around in newness of life. Now here's, here's the catch. Many of you walk around calling yourselves Christians but you're not walking in newness of life. You're walking in the same old, same old. And you need the coming power of the Holy Spirit into your life. And I'm crying out to Jesus for this Holy Spirit power. I'm not talking about the baptism. Any person who confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior has repented of his sins has invited the Holy Spirit to come in. The Holy Spirit will come in either by the laying on of hands or simply by praying, repenting and praying and waiting upon the Lord. He will come. But there is a there is a newness of life where we now serve others, where we literally walk in Jesus day by day we walk in jesus so verse 11 you also must think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but living for god in christ jesus our lord so if i say to you please tell me are you still walking in sin and you answer me well everybody sins all the time somebody just said that to me this last week Could we literally take the scriptures for what they say, or do we have to add our experience and the twist of our sin? Why can't we simply take the scriptures at face value and let it be that standard that our lives are lived by? So also you must think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. As long as you tell yourself, you're not yet dead to sin. It means you have not yet fully confessed. Now, are you fully mature? No. Will you still make mistakes? Yes. But are you in rebellion against Jesus in any area of your life? If you answer no, then you're living for God in Christ Jesus and you'll grow up into him. 
But let's be clear, growing up into Jesus does not make allowance for rebellion on our part. It doesn't make allowance for sin. We are called to stop sinning, to walk in Jesus by the power of the blood. If we say we can't walk without sin in Jesus, we're saying the power of the blood is like that of the Old Testament animals, and there's just not enough there. I'm here to tell you today, there is more than enough in Jesus. He is everything to my heart and my soul. I am hidden in Jesus, and now I am asking for the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit for the healing of the sick, the casting out of demons, revival, revival fire. Now, I want to share with you God's answer to the cry of this dear pastor, R. Edward Miller, who had that totally unsuccessful evangelistic campaign, who almost gave up pastoral work. And God came. After months and months of prayer, doing nothing but praying and reading the word, God finally came. And in a short time, accomplished more than he could have accomplished in his whole life without the Spirit. So I'm going to share with you today a part of a story from the book The Flaming Flame by R. Edward Miller. The story continues of revival. Yesterday I shared with you the story of Alexander, the Polish lad, in that Bible Institute at at City Bell where the Holy Spirit came in power. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Alexander, the Polish lad in the small hamlet of City Bell, he said, Argentina, I am sending you a powerful wave, but woe unto you if you reject it and it return to me. 1949, in the Andean town of Mendoza, that powerful wave began to flow for the first time in a small group of six cold, disinterested, apathetic church members. Overnight, they were transformed into believers aflame with the glory of the fire of the Lord, who went out into the streets of the city and brought others with them to God's house. Within six months, the church in Mendoza was filled with new converts, saved, healed, filled with the Holy Spirit, who then went out and brought in others. A dead church came visibly and vibrantly alive when the fire of the Lord came and filled it. In 1954, the same powerful wave of spiritual life flowed out to the dwellers of Argentina's capital city, Buenos Aires gathering in its flow tens of thousands of the unconverted and bringing them to the large sports stadium where the Lord saved and healed them under the ministry of Tommy Hicks. But now, some months later, the impetus of this grand awakening has already subsided of the wave of fire that had swept the capital. Only embers and coals remained. 
Had Argentina truly accepted that powerful wave, or had she rejected it? Was the revival awakening in Buenos Aires the end of this powerful wave promised by the angel? Had God withdrawn this wave as he warned he would do if Argentina rejected it? Could we expect God to move in other Argentine cities as he had in Mendoza, as he had in Citibel, as he had in Buenos Aires? Deeply pondering these questions, our small evangelistic party of five people stood on the large empty platform of the still emptier sports stadium that we had rented in the seacoast town of Nicochea for an 11-day healing campaign. Now, unfortunately, none of our group, which included three national workers, my wife and me, was a renowned healing evangelist. All were but members of God's core of unknown are-nots. <laughs> Just stop a moment. I'm one of those unknown are-nots, hidden away, praying in one of the most wicked cities in the world, crying out to God against the corruption, asking that our Lord God would touch the president of this nation with revival and save him from the curses of Satan, praying for our Congress both houses that God would have his way that he would rule over this this nation a city filled with every kind of darkness and corruption and I'm one of a very small group without power crying out to God saying oh God you did it in Buenos Aires. You did it in Mendoza. You did it in Argentina. Will you do it now here in Washington, D.C.? Will you send a mighty wave of your presence and your power to save the city? They were questioning. Would anyone come to the meetings? Oh, I had, I hear that some years ago. I rented... <laughs> the Hilton Memorial Chapel for a series of meetings. I had no money to advertise it. We told everyone we knew. As I remember, maybe 15 people came in an auditorium that seats 4000 and cost us $7,000 to rent. I was utterly heartbroken. But I knew what was being said. It is not by might, and it's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Would anyone come to the meetings? Would God work in Nicochea as he had in Buenos Aires? Would he heal, work miracles? Would anyone receive this, the Lord as Savior? Or would we be laughed out of town in humiliating defeat? Questions, fears, doubts as snarling wolves assailed us and still greater unanswered questions stabbed at us. Would revival fires continue to burn in Argentine cities 
would this powerful wave of divine life continue to flow as God had promised. I want to share with you today God's answer. You know, I'm so, I am so excited and so energized by the certainty of God's coming again. Not just in the second coming, but coming now in the Spirit to turn the hearts of men back to righteousness, to save sinners, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. Well, let me give you the answer for Nicochia. And by the way, Nicochia is a, a large, beautiful city right on the right on the seacoast. He did not strive nor cry, neither did any man hear his voice in Nicochia's streets. Yet the lowly Nazarene healed her sick and forgave her sinful. With no spectacular blaring or heralding trumpets or ringing of high priestly bells, the master of men moved silently among the people, healing the sick, speaking peace to the troubled, and binding up the wounded. Word spread quickly from one person to another. When the meetings began, only a few curious seekers straggled in. After a few nights, however, the stadium was crowded with people. With five hundred chairs, many people were obligated to stand. All classes of people were represented. The highly educated, those without degrees. Side by side, they stood on the common ground of sickness and suffering torment and tragedy, doctors, attorneys, merchants, thieves, atheists, Catholics, witchcraft devotees, charlatans, idolaters, spiritists, the sincere and the scoffing, the needy and the two neediers, the curious and the complaining, the desperate and the derisive. They all came, and the Spirit of the Lord began to breathe upon them. Each night was the same. When we gave the invitation for those desiring salvation, every hand would go up. Carefully, we clarified the request, concluding that the people had not understood. Again, the same hands were raised. The invitation and the response it was all repeated several times. Finally, we ask only those who truly and sincerely were desirous of giving their lives to the Lord to come forward. Nearly the entire congregation came. If giving yourself to Jesus was part of the process of healing, all were more than willing. As the people gathered around the platform, I explained how to accept Christ as Savior. Nodding their assent, they all sincerely prayed. 
Because they responded to the invitation for salvation each succeeding night, I questioned how they could give themselves to the Lord so many times. Their naive answer astonished me. We know we have already given ourselves to the Lord, but we must continue coming, for each time we come, we receive more. A bulwark of long years of established theology began to tumble as we realized that these people were reaching up to God from the depths of a very deep darkness. And it was a long way up. Our prayers were the bridge that God was using to bring them to himself. As they responded each succeeding night to the invitation, their faith and their understanding, their passion for Jesus only grew. As the Nicotians stood before me in the prayer line, I was acutely conscious of the great evil in their lives. Adultery. Lying, rebellion, vice, filth of every kind. But even greater was my realization of the tremendous love and mercy of Jesus, who giveth to all men liberally. Jesus came not to condemn, but to show mercy, not to find fault, but to justify, to make righteous not to blame, not to reprove, but to forgive. Although it meant remaining with the people until the early hours of the morning, I would pray for each one individually. The unchurched, the ungodly crowd gathered around me, some smoking, others half drunk. All were pagan sinners. As I laid hands on each one to pray for healing, I asked God for pardon, not for justice or judgment. The sinners came just as they were. In their hearts, a poignant longing they couldn't put into words, a wordless cry which is best expressed in the words of the old song, Just as I am without one plea. Just as I am. simply conscious of a deep need that they could not define or express. They were desperately reaching out to someone to help them. In mercy, God would speak words of comfort and deliverance. Cognizant that virtue was flowing out to them, I knew it was not because of me. I knew it was not because of them. It was because of the tremendous flow of the merciful kindness of the Lord. My natural thinking was to tell them to clean up their lives first, then to come to Calvary's fountain for benefits. But the will of the Almighty was first to have mercy upon them. Later, he would cleanse them or to do the two things simultaneously. Tremendously conscious of ministering in his spirit of mercy, my my only desire was to cover them. As Ruth of old, they cried out, spread therefore 
thy garment over us. And the merciful one spread his garment over them and covered their nakedness. He washed them thoroughly with water and anointed them with the oil. He clothed them with broidered work and girded them with fine linen and covered them with silk. He entered into a covenant with them, and they became his. The great need of the of the city pulled at my heart. The deep yearning and compassions of the Holy Spirit flooded me. I longed to bring them a few drops of water from the great river of life, a few drops of blood from that flowing fountain. And laying hands on them one by one, I could only pray, Lord, forgive, have mercy. For this was the hour of mercy for guilty sinners who had aforetime only vaguely known of God or of judgment, of vengeance. A big God with a big stick. It was an hour of mercy for ignorant ones who had never before had a Bible in their hands, nor the God of the Bible in their hearts. It was an hour of mercy for pagans who worshipped charms and fetishes and idols yet had never known Jesus. Others, already healed, returned to the prayer line and waited patiently for hours just to express their gratitude for what God had done or to give glorious testimony of deliverance. One woman deeply moved through herself into the arms of the national worker, sobbing, You brought me to the Lord. I found salvation from my sin. I'll never cease to be grateful. Sarah, a Catholic girl, came through the prayer line to laugh and scoff. She requested prayer for an intestinal disorder when in reality her true need was much greater impelled by a spirit of fear which took her into mental unbalance. She had completely withdrawn from society and was right on the verge of being committed to an insane asylum. As the word of knowledge revealed her true need, she began to weep, admitting that it was true. How did you know, she asked. It was God who knew and he who revealed it and brought her the true healing that she needed and restored her to health. Many times the Lord gave enlightenment concerning the lives of the different ones. To the people it was perfectly logical. If the Lord Jesus could heal them, surely he could likewise speak and reveal their deep inner needs to the pastor. (laughs) Sometimes one person would comment to another, Oh, you don't have to tell the pastor all that's wrong with you. He, he'll know. There was a childlike acceptance of the supernatural. Esther was a comrade in arms with her husband and son in a family of loud-mouthed, knife-wielding, contentious brawlers who often terrified the neighbors by chasing one another down the street shouting, cursing, brandishing knives. Even the police were afraid of them. 
Each one in their family was as bad as the other, and the combination of them all created a home atmosphere of constant contention, fighting turmoil. One night the drinking mother came to the stadium for healing. Not only not only did the Lord heal her, he saved her as well. The transformation in her life was so great that her unsaved husband insisted that she continue to attend the services which had benefited her so greatly. The former inciter became an in- intercessor. And she waited before the Lord for the fulfillment of his promise. Thou shalt be saved in thy house. A widow was completely broken down in health, lonely, discouraged, until she came one night to the stadium for healing. Overnight, God healed her of her many afflictions and transformed her into a mother in Israel to the new believers, and one evening, as she was kneeling by her bedside praying, she was surprised to find herself weeping. Pastor, she said, I just don't know what's wrong with me. It's never been this way before. I can't even pray. All I can do is cry. I smiled at her and explained to her that God was giving her the spirit of grace to repent and that this was the operation of the Holy Spirit in her heart. She had come to the stadium seeking health, which she found. The Spirit of the living God came to her, bringing salvation, which she received. A deep spiritual hunger drew Edna to the stadium services, As she prayed, she received an outstanding visitation of the Holy Spirit. When she received the Holy Spirit, a light appeared to her in the shape of a rose. As she continued to seek the Lord in the months that followed, the light continued to increase until one day an angel appeared to her and began to teach her Bible truths that she had never before heard. Her ungodly husband had beaten her many times before, but now, when he felt the presence of the Lord that surrounded her, he was afraid, and he never again tried to beat her. Although a very serious surgical operation had made further childbearing utterly impossible, the angel told her that she would give birth to a baby boy. And in due time, the boy child was born, just as the angel had told her. One elderly widow, Josephine, was known by all of her neighbors and the police as a troublemaker. Always in arguments, disputes, difficulties with her neighborhood. And the police, she had long ago made a a battle axe named for herself. At the stadium, Josephine was saved and healed, and her character changed completely. When at the close of the evangelistic campaign, the infant church began to establish the former woman of arms, laid down all her verbal weapons, and quietly offered her home for the new house church. I hope you hear what I'm sharing with you. 
These are not special people. These are people like you, like me. What made the difference was the Holy Spirit came. He came in power for the salvation of the lost, for the healing of the sick. That's what we must have in this city. We don't need an expensive ad campaign. The only ads we need are a few people to be healed and the manifestations of God's glory to flow. And crowds will come. Have I been baptized in the Spirit and do I speak in tongues? Yes, I do. That's not enough. I must be granted the authority granted to the disciples and to to the whole multitude of 120 on the day of Pentecost. It's called healing power. It's called the presence of the Holy Spirit who abides with us always to the very end. It means walking in the power of God for the salvation of the lost. That's what we're crying out for. There was an atheistic professor who was deeply involved in the scientific study. He became, this man became utterly indifferent and unbelieving as regards to any type of religion. In the vacuum that followed the loss of his faith, he began to diligently search for truth. I apologize. I'm very tired today, but I'm rejoicing that I can be with you and that I can share this. I have not been sleeping very much. I've been praying. I've been crying out to God. I have to see a miracle. For this radio broadcast to continue, there has to be a miracle of giving. I wonder if you have spent all of your money on others. Have you saved any for Jesus? So I've been praying that God would move in the hearts of his people to give abundantly, hilariously. But the primary focus of my prayer has been, O Lord, will you begin the work of revival in this city now? I have laid my life down for Jesus. You know, I've... Please, may I say just a couple of things, personal things. I don't have the power or the ability to earn the money necessary to live in this society. I don't have the power or the strength to win the lost. I don't have the power or the strength to do this radio broadcast. I have nothing left of Ray. I have only Jesus. And many years ago, my father opened the scriptures and said, Ray, 
one day you will be a pastor. He said, I want you to make me a promise that you will only know Jesus and nothing else among the people. I made that promise not knowing what that promise meant. And years later, as I graduated from seminary and I went to my first congregation to pastor, I stood at the door as people filed out after the service, congratulating this young preacher on a wonderful, wonderful sermon. An old man came through that line, bald-headed, well up in years, he took both of my he took my hand in both of his hands, a tall man, maybe six three, six four, towered over me. He kind of bent over me and he said to me, Pastor, will you teach us about Jesus? And tears began to flow down his face. Pastor, will you teach us about Jesus? And I said, oh, yes, I will. But in the privacy of my own prayer closet later that night, I had to confess to Jesus that I didn't know him yet. And I didn't. I want to tell you today, I know Jesus. And I love him with all my heart. And I know I've come to an utter end of Ray. And I know that there is only Jesus. And the story that I'm reading for you today, it's only Jesus. This pastor was not someone special. Three national workers, they were no one special. His wife, no one special. It was Holy Spirit power. I'm asking you to give yourself up to and to acknowledge that anything that happens in your life happens because of the Messiah, Jesus. Do not have any pretense about your own power, your own ability, your own resources, your own money. It all belongs to Jesus. Do you know Jesus? the bright and shining star, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has such mercy and such compassion. Do you know Jesus? Or do you only know about him? Are you living in Jesus? You don't know him until you're in him. And he's in you. Well, this man, this atheistic professor... He searched for intellectual understanding through philosophy, science, materialism, oriental religions, but he found no truth. He would have continued to completely reject the very thought of God, but for three questions which greatly tormented his heart. These are the questions. 
is good rewarded and evil punished after death. Will Christ return to the earth as he promised? 3. Will the world be destroyed as the Holy Scriptures foretell? The Frenchman continued his search, thinking that the Bible might give him some answers. He began extensive study of the Word of God, diligently consulting every commentary he could find. But after twelve years of searching the Scriptures, he was no nearer to the answer, no closer to God. Through disciplined study of the Bible, he sought God with his mind as a critic and not with his heart as a believer. To his natural mind, the Bible was contradictory, absurd, confusing, full of incredible legends. He titled it The Divine Comedy. Dissatisfied with his unsuccessful search for God and gravely ill with a heart condition produced by the medicine he had taken to relieve acute articular rheumatism, he realized that death was coming very close. When he heard that God was healing and working miracles through the evangelical pastors in Nicotia, he concluded that the coming of Jesus and the end of the world must be very near. He sent his wife to the stadium services, saying sarcastically, Go on and become an evangelical, then you'll leave the liquor bottle just for me. The next night, she persuaded her husband the atheist, to accompany her, saying, This is the true God, the God whom you've been seeking for years. Don found God in that stadium, and this is his testimony. Never before had Christ been presented like this, before I tried to believe, but my heart was cold and empty without feeling at all, but as Pastor Miller prayed for me, something moved within me, something awakened. Christ himself was talking to me, and for the first time in my life, I really believed. Why should I further seek my beautiful Christ in religions of India? He was so near that I found myself saying, Oh God, give me a new heart, a heart full of love and free from all evil, a heart which I will dedicate to you for your service, a heart which shall only desire to do your will. An indescribable love surged up within me, a heart as a flame. I knew that God had heard me, he said. Now when I opened the Holy Bible, nothing seems incredible or impossible or ridiculous or contradictory or legendary. It is no more a book of fables. It is his word, the truth, written by his inspired and holy prophets. No longer do I seek to understand God through reason and analysis. He is the way. I know. I believe. No longer do I listen to the devil who whispers lies in my ears. He flees from me when I arise in faith against the lies which he hurls at me in his attempt to get me to draw away from God. 
He can't rule me any longer, for Christ is my king. He is with me all the time and lives in my heart. He accepted me as his child. He pardoned my sins. He healed me. No longer will I search for him in science or philosophy, for I have found him, and my life has been changed. I entered the sta- I entered the stadium as a curious one. I went out transformed by his grace and his mercy. Oh, we serve a wonderful, wonderful Jesus. And I'm wondering today, may I pray for you for the presence of the Holy Spirit and for healing in your body that he would come to you. I just know in the Spirit that there are some of you who, like this man, have always been intellectual, searching, and never met Jesus yet. I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for each person today listening who has not truly met you, but only heard about you, only only intellectually begun searching after you still walking in their sin and their sickness, Lord, as they listen to me pray for them, I'm asking that you would come and meet them in the name of Jesus. I ask that you would come now, Holy Spirit of the living God, and move into the heart of every person who is now open to your coming. Lord, would you heal their disease? Would you cast out the demon? Would you restore In the name of Jesus, Almighty God, would you do that work now in your mercy and in your grace? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit? Lord, thank you. I pray in your name. Amen. we're almost out of time for this broadcast I'm standing by faith that before the end of the year I will hear from you and that you will give exactly what the Holy Spirit prompts you to give that next month we can still be on the radio we are month to month by faith I have no ability to pay the radio bill If the Holy Spirit moves your heart, would you help? We are still several thousand dollars short of the money necessary for the month of December. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, if you'd like to come and worship with us in this small house church, I'm simply telling you you're welcome. If you are an earnest seeker after Jesus, if you show up at the door, before you come in, I'm going to ask you the question, are you serious about Jesus? 
And if you say yes, I'll welcome you in. If you say no, I'll say this is not where you should be. This is for people who are serious and who need Jesus and who want the Holy Spirit. So please, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, or you can Google National Prayer Chapel, and there you'll find a map with the address. I'll give you my cell phone number. Jot it down, 703-489-1785. That's 703-489-1785. Lord Jesus, I pray for each who's listened today, and I pray your blessing on them today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, my brother, my sister. Subscribe to our broadcast on YouTube. Just go to National Prayer Chapel YouTube or Pastor Ray Greenlee YouTube, and you'll find there it will be. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and the video will be there of today's broadcast. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.